Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Running the Table. I'm your host, Keith, and today's episode is the first of our new planned format for this year. Today, we're starting with some basics focused around Dungeons & Dragons. Some things that are covered to a small extent as an introduction to the Dungeon Master Guide. Specifically, what is the Dungeon Master and what does it mean to take on that role? Before we get too far into this, I'd like to remind you that if you have any questions or comments you'd like to send my way, you can email me at rttpodcast at gmail.com. For updates on scheduling and guests, please follow at Running the Table on Twitter or Facebook. So, what does it mean to be a dungeon master? What is a DM and what is a DM not? We can get the short of it out of the way quickly. The dungeon master is the master of the world, the enemies, the allies, the monsters, the blacksmith and shopkeepers, the quest giver, and the quest target. The DM is the mediator of the players, the primary author of the story, and more. The DM is, essentially, the heart of the adventurer party and their biggest enemy all at once. The dungeon master is the wearer of many hats, and the one person who is not an adventurer and thus not part of the focus of the story. In short, the dungeon master is everything that the other players are not. But what does all that mean, and isn't doing all of that a little overwhelming? I know that if I had to take on all those roles at the same time, all the time, I'd be overwhelmed as well. But while the Dungeon Master must be many things at many times, there are some parts that are more expected than others, and this also means that you have a lot of leeway as to what you take on and when. The primary thing that the Dungeon Master needs to keep in mind is the game itself. Dungeons and & Dragons and all tabletop role-playing games are hobbies. Games to be played for fun. If the game has stopped being fun for the players, it's not much of a game. And when I say players here, I include the DM. Adventurer or Dungeon Master, player or non-player character, Everyone is playing a game together, and trying to have some fun playing it in a fantasy world. Whether it's brand new to us, or if we've grown familiar with it through games, books, or our own time there, we're meant to be having fun in the world that we're sharing. So today, let's go through some of the expectations on the Dungeon Master, and how these help to keep the game fun and interesting for everyone involved. First, I do think we should say why so much of this falls on the Dungeon Master. Adventurers have their own sets of expectations that fall on them, and we can address that on its own later. Suffice to say that they focus so much on the details of their character, backstories, and the roleplay involved to make these central heroes interesting to interact with and follow, that the Dungeon Master's role takes on so many outside roles to help place these characters within the world. This means that the Dungeon Master's role can be summed up in terms of what does the world need for the characters to interact with it? That means quests, settings, rules, enemies, and more. So first, let's talk about the world. 
The Dungeon Master is expected to be the primary constructive force behind the setting and the world they are playing in. While other players likely need to have some say in certain things, especially as those related to their characters' backstories, it may be more about fitting the ideas in with the DM's world rather than making something new that matches them. This means having an idea of the world's structure, and that's no easy feat. It may be huge with countries and political entities that the players can interact with or that may make decisions outside of their interaction that directly affect them or even indirectly affect them. It may be small and not fully fleshed out, starting out with a single city and just the surroundings of it, or a small area that is only affected externally through rumors or major political changes, or it could be anywhere in between. One of the important things to remember, though, is that the characters of the story are your party. The world should feel focused around their actions, and the focus should scale with them. As they grow stronger, their influence over the world around them and the people around them should grow as well. While a small-time adventuring party, the characters likely have little to no direct interaction with powerful, influential people such as kings or leaders of guilds, unless they have some sort of personal connection to them. As such, the influence of these powerful people likely should be felt more through the interactions and changes with those more likely to share the same status as the heroes of the story. The tavern keeper of their frequent haunt, the smith they've started to rely on, and other quest givers that they may have ingratiated themselves with may mention tax decisions or other large-scale political interactions effect on the common person. The players don't interact directly with those making these tax decisions, but can feel the ramifications and the influence of changes within the world through those that they actually do connect with. Having the king or queen directly announce to the players some quest hook and grandiose announcement when the players are level 1 or 2 can seem a bit incongruous and disconnected from the player's place in the world. But if, say, it was a rumor from the tavern keeper's brother who happened to work in the city and happened to have a senator's aide as a client, it makes a bit more sense that the tavern keeper may have heard, hey, I guess that the capital's having difficulty with rampaging centaurs. And the world-shaking quests and plots should unfold around the players themselves. While something like that may be happening in the distance, Maybe something that seems inconsequential that the players are happening to deal with at that time becomes a foundation or a cornerstone of some large, drastic quest later on. And this brings us to the next point of Dungeon Master's role, the story. The DM is the primary guiding force, narrator, and driver of story elements in adventures and campaigns alike. Acting as the quest giver to guide players towards an adventure, as well as setting up the obstacles and interactions that they may have there, and between the goal and the starting point itself. That means setting up chance encounters on the road, chance in heavy air quotes there, that may come between the characters and the end result. It also means subverting or choosing to follow common tropes around adventures. 
Tropes and other cliches or common approaches to quests are often that way for a good reason. And as a story crafter, you likely want to find your own balance around when and how to use them. You can subvert them or use them wholesale alongside more original concepts, or even just use cliches to get people comfortable with the quest that they're doing. Regardless, there needs to be a story told in the adventure and the campaign to some extent. Some sort of quest and epic, even if it's not a grand story. At the very least, if it includes a goal and some valid understanding of the quest giver and their relation to the heroes, it should guide them on toward completion. And when I say adventure or campaign, it is important for the dungeon master to build with these in mind. A campaign is a long, large-scale endeavor, something that may even span years of time. In the real world, years. And is often composed of multiple adventures stitched together. A single adventure may last a month, or it may last a day. Who knows? Now, with that in mind, think about the how and the why of the players going on this adventure. Is it a request from a trusted friend? Is it a paid request from a stranger? Is there some additional quest hook lying in the wings for them in the midst of it? Or at the end of it? Or maybe the quest giver just isn't all too honest with them from the beginning. Think of why the characters themselves would want to go on this quest and provide them the reasons and the means to do so. Then, think of how this would tie in with the grander scale of the campaign you're running, if you are running one, and provide connections and opportunities to learn more. The players likely have a variety of desires and goals, things that their character wants to pursue, and it can be up to the characters themselves which leads and goals to follow, but they need to be offered in some kind in the first place. And so, by crafting the story around an adventure, and crafting these tantalizing little hooks or ways to pull characters and players in, and then placing it within the broader structure of an overall narrative plot affected by the world and the setting that they're in, the Dungeon Master guides adventurers on towards their own epic quests. The adventurers may start out small time, but in a grand campaign, they should soon feel like they're heroes, even just to the locals. They should feel connected to the world. They should, they should recognize and know the people that they're interacting with frequently, and they should feel as if they have a reason for the quests that they take on. And connected to each of these is the mechanics of adventures themselves. For each story, for each adventurer, there needs to be obstacles. Those with opposing goals, either to the adventurers themselves or to the giver of the quest. Maybe rivals are searching for the same ar artifact for other reasons, or maybe there are multiple ways to approach a quest, and some group takes issue with the path chosen by the players. Regardless of how or why there is opposition to the story, the Dungeon Master must craft it, both in the sense of the story and mechanically. This means building maps of ruins and enemy strongholds, composing groups of monsters or enemies that the adventurers may need to fight, 
composing the reasons these opposing forces are in play, and how can the players take them down. These may be important to keep in mind as well. After all, a goblin den should be filled with goblins. Placing something else there just wouldn't really make sense. Rival adventuring groups may appear almost as suddenly as the players themselves. Hunters of the same ancient power may simply wish to eliminate the competition, or defensive traps and creatures may be in place to prevent it from being used. It is important to craft these encounters carefully, make it too easy and the players may feel bored or even too emboldened by success to avoid overpoweringly strong enemies. And if you make it too hard, it very quickly can stop being fun. Encounters, especially multiple concurrent ones, whether traps or monsters or even environmental hazards, should carry the risk of failure or defeat, but still be possible to overcome. An unwinnable situation would be meaningless to fight in, and very quickly can dishearten all the players involved. If the players were not capable of taking on a quest, the quest giver should not give it to them. So the DM must take on the role of careful architect, balancing and constructing challenging yet defeatable encounters and obstacles. No hero completes a quest without opposition, and no hero ever faced something truly insurmountable to them. Maybe it was just delayed until they could overcome it later. Keep that in mind and make sure, if there is a truly difficult or nigh-impossible opponent, that it has a reason to be so, and a reason to be where it is. It needs to be introduced to the players, then make it make sense. A story or a world element that they are made aware is beyond them. Currently. Emphasis on currently. Impress upon them the importance of, and their own ability to, return to defeat said impossible opponent, or to defeat it if they find it again in the future. And understanding how the rules govern these interactions between the characters, their opposition, and the world around them is one way to be sure of that. And the DM is to understand and moderate these rules themselves. That's part of being the Dungeon Master. This is, in fact, one of the biggest roles the Dungeon Master needs to take on, to be arbiter of the rules and the one who decides how to implement and interpret them. This means that when the players want to take actions, the Dungeon Master decides what kind or kinds of roles or skill checks or whatever they may need to make, and uses either predetermined or on-the-spot determined values to check success versus failure. If the player beats the check, they succeed, and if they don't, they fail. It's important to keep these fair and appropriate, and to not try to... I find that a lot of Dungeon Masters will oftentimes think of this as them being pitted against the players that are playing the adventurers. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. It's all of you versus the game, and the Dungeon Master playing the NPCs and the monsters takes on a sort of mediator role. They fairly interpret, or maybe a little bit more towards the player's side interpret, rules to help guide the story along and make sure that it maintains 
the challenging and fun puzzles and obstacles that have been put in place. The DM also decides what actions opponents take, however or if they will attack, and how to interpret actions and interactions that fall outside of established rules. If the player or an NPC does something that doesn't have an established method or rule, such as destroying a pillar to bring the roof down on their enemy, it is up to the DM to decide how to handle that, how to implement it, what does it mean in rules standing. They may even decide that it's a dexterity save, with damage on a failed save. Or they may decide that there are multiple possible saves depending on how the adventurer chooses to deal with the collapsing roof. Maybe they attack the rubble above them, or simply lift a piece to shield themselves. Either way, making that call is up to the DM and the players to come up with the creative solutions. And the DM has the final say on rules and the outcomes thereof, as the official referee and interpreter of the rules. This is why it is so important that the Dungeon Master be impartial, or maybe a little bit more partial to the players, than to the unfeeling, uncaring game. However, as important as each of these aspects are for Dungeon Masters, it's also important to understand that you yourself are a player, and you are meant to be having fun. If any of the aspects we've discussed so far are not things that you enjoy doing, but you still want to run a game, then that's fine. There are pre-built worlds you can use, or you can even adapt the worlds from your favorite books or games. There are pre-built encounters or encounter builders that can construct appropriately leveled combat encounters for you. There are pre-built adventures, which include encounters and plot elements as well, which can even be adapted for use in different worlds. You can craft a story that relies entirely on roleplay and interaction, and not so much on combat. Or you can make one that's so combat-focused that the players don't really need diplomatic skills. When it comes to rules, it's even perfectly acceptable to look things up on the fly, or even rely on more knowledgeable players at the table, even if they're adventurers. There are ways around each of these if you happen to find yourself uncomfortable with taking on these roles, or just lacking in experience with them. That said, there is one skill that a dungeon master must have. There is no way around this skill. And there is not really any other way to circumvent it. You must have this skill. A dungeon master must be able to improvise. No matter how well you plan or how well built an encounter may be, you can rely on your adventurers to somehow come up with something you overlooked, something you didn't plan for, or something you just didn't think of. If you have every single NPC in shop named, created, backstory outlined, and set up in a city, the other players will undoubtedly ask about all their favorite colors and types of pastries, then try to figure out the fastest way to get a pastry to every single one of them, but only the ones they like. 
If you provide them 10 detailed quest hooks and plan out the initial stages of each one, those same players may just opt to open up a bakery in the wilderness instead and try to get villagers to come to them. Why? Who knows? No matter what you do, there is something that somebody else can think of. It's part of the beauty of playing tabletop role-playing games. And it really is an abounding feature of Dungeons & Dragons. And this can even be simple improvisation. Knowing how to say on the fly, oh, you, you want to do this cool thing, rather than telling a player no. Coming up with a role, a DC, uh, a reason, and a way to have that work in the game on the fly is so important. It makes the game more fun for everybody and can create these stories that people just tell over and over and over and become a cornerstone of their, their party stories and all the tales that they tell about Dungeons & Dragons or tabletop role-playing games in general. But no matter how or what you prepare, every session will include improvisation and some sort of flying-by-the-seat-of-your-pants moment as a dungeon master. You will, need to you will need to make up names, places, professions, preferences, menus, prices, everything, anything that you can think of on the spot. And your players will love it and, of course, push for more and more. It makes it feel like they're able to both interact directly with the living world and help you shape parts of it by giving their input and by poking at areas that you might not have thought of. That said, improvisation can sometimes build things we don't want in our world or in our story. That's okay, and maybe you come up with something better, or maybe just felt like it doesn't really fit. It's definitely okay to decide to retcon something you said in a previous session, so long as it doesn't drastically impact the other players or the story being told. Discuss it with your players and explain to them what is changing and why you're changing it. Even if it's just, I didn't really like that the tavern and bakery were right next to each other, so I'm moving the bakery to a better part of town because they, they tend to service upscale clientele and they just wouldn't come down next to that tavern anyway. And sure, there are times when a player may suggest something good or better than what you thought of while improvising. And that's fine too. Taking suggestions can help them feel like they're in a world that matters to them just as much as it does to you. They helped build a tiny piece of it. They named a tavern or a city or an NPC and are all the more involved for having given their help. They may grow attached to that NPC after naming them and you can use that as a story element. Maybe they gave you the name for the big bad and they feel like they're a little bit more forgiving towards the big bad evil guy just because they gave them the name. Now... In short, those are the skill sets expected of a dungeon master. And while you can adapt or sort of get around some of them, it's good to have a try at each of them and find what you like to do. Because if you're interested in being a dungeon master, you're interested in doing some of these things. It sounds a little bit daunting when we talk about them as skills and things that you should learn to do if you want to be really, really excellent at it, or learn to overcome needing to do. But 
really, when it comes down to it, a lot of us that are dungeon masters or aspiring dungeon masters or even game masters for other tabletop role-playing games get into it in part because we love telling these kinds of stories with our friends. We like sitting down and letting everybody play heroes and get to feel like we're making an impact in the world that we're building together. So it's not so much about refining these skills, but more about trying them out and finding what you enjoy. And when you enjoy them, you'll get good at them because you'll want to do them yourself anyway. And then knowing that the other ones exist, it's about, well, if you don't like them, it's about overcoming them and finding ways around them. If you just don't like building worlds, then it's fine to always use other people's worlds or pre-built ones. If you just don't like making the adventures themselves, then that's fine. Find some pre-built ones, find some homebrewed ones. So long as you enjoy the other aspects of it, that's all that's important. But there is more to it than that. It isn't just the skills that make a DM, it's also the passion, like I was saying. So, to me, what is it that is being a dungeon master? Well, I, I actually would like to answer that with a personal story from one of my old games when I was the only dungeon master for my college group. This campaign, uh, as it ended up being, was actually a while in the making. I, I built a small area in the world. Um, I, I built brief overview for other parts that they might indirectly interact with, but they were in a small kingdom with some independent city-states. And I introduced them to it. I came up with the initial adventure that would lead them into the main city where I expected them to spend a little bit of time getting to know things. And I had outlined several different large-scale plots and directions that their story could go as they interact with different groups and decide which group they might want to side with or deal with more. In short, I was looking to get them involved with some group or another. I was looking to get them into the intrigue of the country that they found themselves in. And that was all, all well and good. Uh, there were all sorts of plots, all sorts of quest hooks, all sorts of NPCs, all sorts of directions that they could go, and rough ideas around various cities. I didn't plan them all out beforehand because, well, I didn't have that much time on my hands. I was still in school. And I was working at the time. Lots of stuff going on there. So, we go through with the very first session. Uh, I introduce them to each other on a boat. They happened to be traveling to a major city. And the very first session starts with their boat being attacked by a, a wizard, a necromancer, and summoned monsters. It turns out, of course, that this is a targeted attack against some of the other passengers on the boat. Now they put on a brave defense and fought to defend their ship, fought to defend those on board, but unfortunately they did succumb to the mage. And that's okay. I had contingency plans in place for if they succeeded, and for if they failed, and even for if they outright died. They failed, um, and were swept off of the ship itself. So, of course, they washed ashore, not too far from the city that they were originally going to go to, but it did take them some time to get back to it. 
They had some wonderful bonding experiences and interactions with each other and some other survivors while they were in the jungle trying to get back to the city. They hadn't actually run into any NPCs yet other than those that were on the ship, and so they used this time mostly to form inter-party bonds and get to know their own characters. It was great team building and part of why I was really actually looking forward to them not outright succeeding. But I still made it a possibility, of course. And so, eventually, they do get to a city, and they deliver the message, or I forget. I believe it was a message that they had to deliver, and one of them had been escorting an NPC from the boat who had been the target of the attack, and brought them in. And they had some interactions with some of the lower-ranking officials of the guard and uh, a low-ranking noble who had a vested interest in the interactions that they were doing with the boat. And in fact, it had been his boat. Upon meeting him, they really didn't seem to enjoy the NPC, and while I hadn't necessarily built that in as a character trait, I definitely played into their interactions with him and decided, all right, well, that makes sense. Maybe this this uh, noble just considers them to be mercenaries and has a general disdain for mercenaries and adventurers and the like. Well, let's treat him as if he just kind of condescends to them and has a disdain for them and doesn't really think that they'll amount to much compared to professional soldiers or to, you know, guild leaders. And he treated them as such in retaliation for them treating him so harshly. In the midst of all of this, uh, one of my players had a little bit of an issue with his character. And so as they were finishing up in the city, uh, they went to the gate and were sitting there. And I took the moment to have an aside with this player and help him figure out everything that was going on with his character and kind of get back into feeling like he enjoyed playing this character itself. He was enjoying the game, character not so much. So we had a discussion and I helped him through some of the rules and helped point him out to some of what was going on and had a good, uh, a good little talk. By the time I returned from the sidebar I'd been having, the other players had been having a discussion without me. And the culmination of their discussion came out of one of my players' mouths. It was literally just, we've decided we're going to overthrow the kingdom. And, uh, yeah. I took many of my very carefully planned notes and threw them in the garbage can, sat down, turned to a blank page, and said, okay, let's do this. I'm going to need you to make me some rolls, and uh, I'm going to need to have you guys share with me how this kind of interaction came about. Suffice to say, I had them roll for understanding kind of what they need to do, who their contacts might be, and where they were, and what was going on. Ultimately, they did actually succeed uh, in, in overthrowing the kingdom. And really, uh, I, I played into this kind of whimsical desire and change of quest plans because it was fun. It was what they had decided as a group and what they wanted from the story. They, they knew 
that this was what would be fun for them because they'd been treated so harshly by that noble and by one of the other guard members and a couple other low-ranking individuals that they had a very real resentment for the city and for the kingdom. And that came out of, we've got the power to do this. We're going to overthrow it. We know what we're capable of and we'll put this together and we'll become revolutionaries. I enjoyed it because it let me build out the world more and play the game with friends, and they were on a quest that they had chosen with lofty goals and immediate needs. Something they could strive for and feel like heroes for. And in the end, they were heroes. The story didn't go exactly how they felt it would, of course, but they did save the world. And they did overthrow the kingdom. Just as they had originally planned. Of course, they did actually save the king and reinstate him. They really overthrew the kingdom after it had already been overthrown once while they were planning to overthrow the original kingdom. Because it turns out that the original kingdom was actually not that bad and that many of the people that they'd interacted with just either had a general disdain for them or had been told lies about them and were being manipulated by those who did overthrow the kingdom before they could. So, yeah, they actually helped to establish a few new kingdoms and build new stuff and put the same guy in power who had been in power because it turns out he actually wasn't that bad. All in all, it went very different directions and there was so much fun interactions and fun stories to come out of that. I could talk about it for ages. That's the kind of interaction you can have if you stick to the idea of improvisation and focusing on the fun. Really, being able to improvise on the spot, come up with things as needed within these boundaries, and focusing on having fun with the game and making sure other people are having fun with the game, that's all it really takes to be a dungeon master. The rest of this is what's expected of a dungeon master, but you don't need to do it. You don't have to do it. You can find ways around it. You can have somebody else help you with it. You can use pre-existing versions. You just need to remember to have fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Running the Table. I hope that you enjoy this change in format, and I hope that you join me next episode. As always, if you have any questions or comments or concerns or suggestions or just want to say hi, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to receive updates about scheduling, format changes like this one, guests, and just plans about episode releases and episode titles and things like that, please follow me on Twitter as at running the table. So until next time, I hope you all enjoy running your own tables.